90 days ago, on the fifth Sunday in January, we started on a, uh, a 90-day period of spiritual growth. We called it the growing season. And we began things with a, with a kickoff celebration. We gathered together at 6 p.m. that night, January 29th. Uh, had a, a, a big feast. We invited our friends from the Iglesia de Cristo on Johnson Street and from the Lao congregation that meets here. And we're going to do that same thing tonight. And um, we don't want you to miss out on it. We don't want to miss you, and we don't want you to miss out on it. Because that energy of everybody getting together and sharing the good about what could be made that a really fantastic event. And now what we want to do is we want to gather together this evening at 6 p.m. We'll start out in here. And um, I've got two things that, that I want to ask of you. Number one, I need a group of people who are willing to set up tables and chairs in the Family Life Center. And so if you can do that, just show up here tonight at 545. And um, no, I don't have a plan for it, but the kitchen crew may know how they want it set up. Or we might just figure it out. I do know that if tables sit in, in or chairs sit in front of tables, it works best that way. So... There you go. That's all the contribution I have. But if you would come and help us with that, and the more we have, the quicker it'll go, I'm sure. The second thing is, for the last 90 days, you've been challenged to um, pray, to read Scripture, to gather together with others in groups. And I want you to think about that last 90 days. And has there been some growth that you've noticed, maybe in yourself, maybe in others, maybe in the church? Maybe there's been something that's been of benefit. And what you experienced might be something that encourages others. Would you pray about that today? And if it's the sort of thing that you feel like sharing tonight in some way, just let me know that tonight. And uh, again, we're not looking for 15-minute explanations. We're looking for, you know, just two-minute words of encouragement. And, um, and I'm sure that through all of this, the Lord will bless us that we can notice that there's been some kind of growth generated by His Spirit and met by our effort and our intentionality to grow. Would you pray with me now? Father, we give you thanks that for 90 days it has been our focus to grow. To grow spiritually, to build up the body of Christ, to mature, and to strive for excellence. And Father, I ask that you would uh, be with everyone here, that we all have a sense of how we contribute and participate in building one another up and how we all teach and how we all learn from one another and how we grow as disciples. Father, would you bless our efforts today? Would you bless our fellowship today? I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know why it is that... Uh, Every kung fu movie, every karate movie, every martial arts movie always has this moment where, um, where they have the, the, the training montage. And you see a scene like this where our kung fu master or our karate kid will, or our kung fu panda will start you know, working out on top of a mountain with the sun in the background. And you have a little song about getting stronger or something like that. And then they're ready with the new technique that's going to win the day. But we see it, and we understand it. 
Because we understand that there's something about kung fu or the martial arts that has to do with growth and training and getting better, getting stronger. Uh, you even have that in Rocky's movie. He has to go and run, and Mickey teaches him to chase chickens in the alleyway, and he gets stronger. That's what, even what the song says. But kung fu, uh, we, we use it in terms of uh, 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 fighting or martial arts. But the term kung fu refers to much more than that. In Chinese, kung fu refers to excellence achieved through long practice in any endeavor. So you can have kung fu in cooking. And it's not just the Iron Chef. You can have kung fu. You can strive to be excellent in that. Whatever it is you do, you can strive to be excellent at that. And, and what you're striving for is your kung fu in that area. <clears throat> I guess my family's used this a long time because when my mother and my grandmother would go shopping, my grandfather would comment that they had a black belt in shopping. That they knew what they were doing when it came to that. I'm trying to work on my kung fu preaching. Maybe if I write a book one day, it's going to be kung fu preaching. Because uh, I, I, I want to strive for excellence. Now, Again, I don't do that just for me. I do that because of the importance of what happens in preaching. But I do believe at the same time that there's a place for the Spirit that leads and guides and sets the standards for all of this. I think it's time for us to develop the idea that there is a kung fu when it comes to Christian spirituality. And, and, and I think that that's not only a good idea, I think it's biblical. That for growing practitioners in the way of Jesus, what we might call disciples, because disciples are learners. Members sit, members attend, members come, members, you know, pay. You can be a member, and it may or may not make a big impact on your life. I am still a member of Planet Fitness, and it's still not doing me much good. But I've been once, and I'm a member, and they take my money. But a disciple, if I was a disciple of fitness, if I had some fitness kung fu, now that might change things. And I'll tell you around here what I'm most interested in, and I hope you are too, is not just membership. And I know we use that term, and that, that's okay. I'm not knocking that. But really what we want to do is we want to make disciples, and we want to be disciples. Because disciples are learners of the way of Jesus. And learners, and, and all, well, all of the teachers of the way of Jesus are learners themselves, which is a lot like Kung Fu, and here I mean the martial arts. Um, we are practitioners of a way of Jesus, and we want to become excellent at it. Not to become holier than thou, not because we think that that's how we earn salvation, but we want to become excellent at it because we're being called to match and to reflect His glory, and we've been given the power to do that. Okay, great idea. Is it biblical? I think it is. You're probably thinking, well then show us. I think I will. Second Peter. It'll be on the screen. You can read along if you want. 
one of the disciples, an apostle, Peter, is writing to disciples a word that comes to us in the first chapter of his second epistle. He says, by his, here he's speaking of, of uh, Jesus, he's speaking of the Lord, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've already been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these, do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. Um, there's a few things about this verse that could trouble us if we let it. He talks about adding to your faith. And yet, we've been conditioned to think that, sounds like a Beatles song, all you need is faith. And that that's it. And I don't have to do anything else. Peter's not saying that faith is incomplete or faith is somehow insufficient. He's saying that that faith has to grow into something if it's really, truly faith. And none of this, by any means, is a, a scorecard for salvation. That if somewhere along the line you're in the process of adding to your faith moral excellence and you don't make it to the third step, well, then you're going to be left behind. Or if you die before the Lord comes back and you've only gotten that far, it's doubtful for you. See, we come up with worries like that because we don't understand the point that's being made. And somewhere we get stuck between this idea of faith and works like they are absolute opposites. And that whenever you talk about moral excellence, a guy like me, I might be trying to sneak works in through the back door. Or if I talk about being saved just by faith, I'm neglecting the fact that there are all these things that you have to do. What if we just took all of that thinking, shoved it aside, and realized that 
What salvation is, is a process of not only being made right, but also of being made holy. Because that seems to be more of the biblical idea. In fact, it sounds a lot like Kung Fu. (laughs) That you start somewhere, and you develop, and you grow. And if any of you or any of your children have been in any martial arts, and you you, you know, you get these belts, and you pay, and the belts, you go up, you train, you study, you get a new belt. There's some measure of achievement. Now, the old legend on that was, is that, um, and by the way, it's a myth, and it's not true, but I'm still going to use it to make my point, because it does make a point, is that every trainee would start out with a little white belt, and then you would train and train and train, and you never wash that belt. And that belt would get darker, with, you'd get sweat stained, it'd get grass stains, it'd get blood stains on it. And it would finally just get so much dirt and sweat and blood and grass on it that it would turn black. And it probably was stinky too, but it meant that you had been, you know, the darker that belt, oh, the longer that that person has been at it. Now, why can't we see Christianity as a path, as a way of life? Why can't we see it as something that leads us towards excellence? And then what stands between those two is that we understand where the power to do this comes from in the first place, the power that makes this happen day after day, but we also realize that there is a path and there is a goal in achievement and maturity. Peter mentions this in this, it's, it's, it's woven into this scripture that we just read. That there is a power to grow in excellence. It's a gift from the Lord. He says that His divine power supplies all that we need. So I, I really want us, if there's one thing that this 90 days has taught us, I hope that it's taught us that Being saved isn't just a matter of getting dipped or getting, you know, going through the process or the steps of salvation. And then after that, we just want you to help out when we need you. Other than that, why don't you hang out in the Christian lounge and stay out of trouble? That instead, God is calling us out of darkness and into light. Why? Because there's a mission that God has in this world. There's an adventure, there's a quest, there's a life to be led. And wherever we find ourselves in life, we are learning, we are growing to become more like Him. Notice he says that that power to grow includes some promises that God gives us. And we have been cleansed from corruption. This is not just a pardon of sins as though It still happened, but no one's going to hold you up and put a penalty on you. Oh, no, this is much deeper than that. Again, we have sort of this legal justice system view. You know, whenever you have one president leave and another president coming in, the, the leaving president, because I guess, well, you know, it's the time to do it, hand out a bunch of pardons to people. And all, all of us get upset because we're like, well, they, they still did what they were accused of. I mean, yeah, I know, but it got pardoned. And it seems sort of like a legal fiction, like a cheat. When the blood of Christ cleanses us from sins, it is not a cheap 
pardon like that. It's not a legal fiction. You and I have been cleansed. We have, had, we have been removed from a way of corruption and moved into a new environment of spiritual health. I mean, you might think about it as having um, your body cleansed of a virus or cleansed of a bacteria. This is, that corruption, it is spiritual. It's not physical, it's spiritual. But we are being rescued from destruction and being brought into glory and excellence. That's, that's That's quite an astonishing thing to think about. And when you realize that that's what we've been brought into, that we have that cleansing from corruption, you'll see in verse 4 and in verse 9 what he means by that, how important it is. In verse 4 he says, These are his promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. The more we grow in the Spirit of God, the more our desires change. I know that some of us right now might be saying, but wait, I've been at this for a while and I haven't experienced that yet. Well, don't fret. Don't get worried. It's not a touchy-feely thing. It's a growth thing. Um, Do you remember learning to drive a car? For some of you, that came naturally. You know, you just got in there, you got the basic concepts, you got behind the wheel. But then when every time, you know, but for some of us, you get behind a car and you have to look, get the feel of it and, how, you know, depending on what kind of car it is. Now, some of you may remember what it's like to drive a stick shift. You really have to get the feel for that. And every car is different. My father's 61 Chevy had the shift on the column. I could never find second gear. I'd just crank it right from first to third. And, oh, he hated that, you know, just right into it. Make a horrible noise. But as long as I was moving forward, I was okay. You finally had to get the feel for it. A few years ago when I went to Scotland and we rented a car, it was a stick shift. But here's the thing. It's in the same place. The steering wheel's on the other side. And I've got to learn to shift gears with my left hand, not my right. You're having to get the feel of it all over again. When we are sharing in his divine nature and escaping the world's corruption, we are learning more every day. It is a process. We are learning what it means to be more like him. That shouldn't cause us to despair. That should give us hope. Because God is giving us time. See, this is why justification means that we're saved when we trust ourselves to him. But sanctification is a process of growing and being changed. And I want to give you that hope that this can happen. You know, maybe one of the reasons why we give up on that too easily is we, we, we don't ever dare assume that things change as we get older, as we mature in Christ. I used to teach lessons like that. Everybody needs to get baptized, I would say. Everybody needs to get saved. That's the first step. That's in the process of salvation. Amen to that. I'm saying that. Yes, that's true. We become one with Christ in baptism. We are cleansed of our sins, cleansed of the corruption. But then it's what comes after baptism where I was a little bit confused. 
Because you'd often tell people, well, you're going to sin again, and you know, it's just going to happen. And yes, that's true. But there was, I, I could never really paint a picture of how it was different than what was happening before. Other than the fact that it seemed like what we were saying was there's a bit of a different legal process after baptism. You, know, you just got to make sure that you record every sin and then take it to Jesus. So I'm teaching a class a long time ago. I'm a very young teacher-preacher. I'm teaching a class, and one of the wisest men that I've ever known in Bible is out there in the, in the class. And I said, you know, I said, even for those of you who are older, it's, uh, it, it's tough. I mean, it's just as... It's just as tough to overcome sin as it was when you were young. And this wise old man says, no, that's not true. I said, wait a second, that's not, the, that's not the textbook answer. He wasn't answering the way he was supposed to. He said, no, no. He said, he said I've been a Christian for a number of years, and I'm not bragging, but he, he's saying, I've gotten to know my Lord much better as I've gotten older, and I want to please him more. And he goes, my heart goes out to every young person or every new Christian. You've got to overcome some things. But he said, as a Christian, you learn some new habits. He's saying, I'm not saying that saves me more. He's saying, I'm just saying that I've just drawn closer to him. And since then, I've learned from others like him. I just don't think anybody else was as bold enough to say it like he did. It sounds like, oh, well, he's just being arrogant. No, he's not. He knows that he can fall away. He knows that he can sin. He knows that he does sin. But he is saying that with maturity, it becomes a different process. He has grown and matured in the way of Christ. And when I learned that, that gave me hope. Because notice that Paul says, or Peter says that those who fall away are the ones who are short-sighted and blind. They forget that they've been cleansed from their sins. If they have forgotten that, then they're saying, what's the difference? I sinned once, I got cleansed, back in the same game. God's promises promise us not only the promise of heaven, but the promise that you and I can grow because we share in His divine power. We can share in His divine nature. Let Let me just test that biblically. Do you think that Peter was exactly the same man that he was at the time that he denied Jesus and the time when he was willing to go to the cross for Jesus? No. Do you think Paul, who used to be known as Saul and needed to change his name, do you think he's the same person when he was out persecuting Christians And then, when he was writing letters to them, like 1 Corinthians, no, they've grown. Perfection is not flawlessness, but perfection is maturity. And they've learned to trust in these promises. I think it's always good when the younger and older spend time with each other because we learn more how to how to behave and how to hope and how to dream. And we all have something to contribute to one another in that process. Let's put it like this. The black belts in Christianity need to spend a little time with the white belts in Christianity and everybody in between. It's not bad. 
Because we're all growing and we're all maturing. And if we will acknowledge that, we will all mature and will become excellent the way it's described here. In fact, a better way to think of it might not be perfection like flawlessness or holier than thou, but a perfection that is, re- that is the result of a practice being made perfect. Verse 5, what he's talking about is an effort at virtue. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. The promises of God are not arbitrary. They're not conditional. The promises of God are given. He's made the promises. He's made the covenant. He resurrected Jesus Christ. He opened the way to come to Christ. That invitation stands open for everyone. That's God's promises. Now, the first thing you do is you accept it. You believe it. Faith. You have trust in it. And then that starts to develop a moral excellence. A change begins. That moral excellence, you grow in knowledge. You know, I hope that if you were baptized, oh, let's say 10 years or more ago, I hope you've learned more about the teachings of God than what you knew 10 years ago. That wouldn't be that that bad to ask for. It's good to learn. And and I want us to stop this game of downing ourselves. And Oh, well, I'm not a preacher like you. I'm not an excellent Bible scholar like you. No, you're not. You might actually know a lot of things that I don't know. And, And that's not what it's about. It's not about comparing ourselves to one another. It's about growing in knowledge. And knowledge, by the way, isn't just stuff that we learn in books. Knowledge is the experience. Because God has done things in your life that I want you to tell others. Because that will give them hope. One of the things I say to people when they come into this church for the first time, they want to be a part of this church family, is I say, whatever it is that you've been through, somebody else has been through the same thing. And I think they'll have a story about how God helped them grow through it. Let's, let's, we can do that. We can do that. We add to all of these virtues until we arrive at love. Brotherly affection becomes love. Um, which Paul in 1 Corinthians calls the most excellent way. Have you ever noticed that he doesn't call it the most excellent gift? He doesn't call it the most excellent quality? I mean, we could just get baptized and say, all right, right now I'm going to start studying love, and we'll fall on our face. Because love isn't something you study. It's something you grow into. And if there's one story that I would tell where I've seen God change me, is in the ability to love other people, even when they may not be unlovable or even when they don't love me. And to see the importance of love, not just as a feeling, not just as an affection, not just brotherly affection. Oh, I had that for a long time. Boy, there were people I like. But to see love as a measure of compassion where you would actually give yourself for another, where you would actually pour yourself into the life of another. Maybe you've been there too. What's our standard for that kind of love? What's our model? What's our example? The way of Jesus Christ. So we learn not to fall. We learn not to fall away. Which means we learn how to stand. 
Disciples cannot be people who lean, but they're people who stand, and then they make other disciples. And they stand on a firm foundation of faith. And yet, even though he says they are people who stand, at the end of this, Peter says, and you know, I'm going to remind you of what you already know. Even though you're standing firm, I'm still going to remind you of what you already know. Even though you know about these things, I'm still going to remind you of what you already know. Why? Because that's the basis of the growth. <laughs> I remember seeing people train in martial arts and even the black belts, the ones who've uh, you know, just, just practiced this, and they, they are just fantastic at what they do. And when they go through their forms and their training, you know where they start? They start with the very first forms they learned. Oh, why can't they skip all that? Because you don't skip it. It's the basis. You start with, just because you attain to love doesn't mean that you throw faith out the window. It still matters. It's all additive. It's growth. We're celebrating growth tonight in ourselves and in our church because it's good to recognize an achievement It's good to recognize effort. It's good to recognize that God is doing something in us. But the glory is not ours. The glory is God. And the effort is that we have leaned more on Him, and not on ourselves or one another's, but we have leaned more on Him so that we can stand. I'm going to remind you of something that some of you may already know. And if you think that every sermon is a sermon that altar calls someone up here who hasn't been baptized, then I really want you to hear this. Every Sunday, every Lord's Day, let each and every one of us remember our commitment to Jesus Christ. That we made a decision at some point, maybe not even knowing half of what we know now, that we said, you know, I need to be baptized into Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because I need to be cleansed of sin. And that might have been all we know. But we grew from that point on. And if we always go back to that original confession, that original statement that we knew, we trusted that Jesus Christ is what he said he was. Jesus Christ said he's the Son of God. We trusted in that. And now we build on that. And every Lord's Day, every time we come together, every meal we spend together, every trip we go on together, it's just a rehearsal of that. And we live it out in such a way that people who are coming to this knowledge of Jesus Christ and maybe they're waiting to get baptized say, I think I need to do that too. Yes. And we're going to invite them to come on the way of Jesus Christ with us. That we're all striving for an excellence. Heaven is God's business. Heaven is what is the future that God will create. But he's inviting us to live in it even now, even though things are not yet perfect. So, I remind you of these things, even though many of you know them. I remind you that that invitation is given by God, even though many of you know that. And I invite you to respond to His promise of salvation and sanctification. And if you don't know how to respond, let me offer you a few options. You can come up here and talk with some of our shepherds. You can talk to the people right around you. You can let us know that it's your day to be baptized into Jesus Christ. Or you can go meet with some of our leaders back here in this room with pews. Or you might come up with another option. But whatever it is, how will you respond to the promises of God today?
Everybody stand up and let's sing this song together.